0: Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. If you are a regular Certain Age listener, you know I have two jobs. I produce and host this podcast. I also run a career consultancy called The Reboot Group. What you may not know is in the way back era when women wore pantyhose to work, I almost became a lawyer. I did wind up working as a morning TV news writer, a writer who would one day say no when my boss offered me an on-camera reporting job. My terror of public speaking stopped me in my tracks. I never regret not becoming a lawyer, but I do sometimes wonder what my life would look like if I had said yes to the on-camera job. Do you ever think, what if? What if I said yes to this or pursued that, followed a passion, took a chance, chased down a dream? My guest today approached her 40th birthday and asked herself the question, what if? What if I gave myself a second chance? Please meet Alicia Fernandez Miranda, author of the coming of middle age memoir, My What If Year, which recounts how a busy CEO and mom of twins stepped back from her career to do a year of unpaid internships in the dream jobs of her youth. If you are in search of reinvention inspiration, have ever looked at your life and wondered, what if there's more, or simply love stories of smart, plucky, self-deprecating and hilarious heroines. This book and this show is for you. Welcome, Alicia.
1: Well, wow, that was the best introduction ever. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I am so
0: excited. I tore through this book the moment it arrived. I, I had the feeling of like, like sort of book envy. I'm like, I wish I had written this book. I wish I had lived this year. I, I'm so <gasps> oh God, excited. Thank to, you. <laughs> I'm really excited to explore this with you. And I would love to just sort of kick off by asking you to share with our listeners, what was the spark that made you write this
1: book? So I think the real spark. Well, I think, I think it had been kind of building a long time, this feeling of, you know, I had done all the things I was supposed to do. I had checked off all the boxes on my list of goals to achieve. And I was feeling this real kind of empty, unhappy feeling. And I hated that. I don't like uh feelings that i can't control or get on top of i don't like a lot of things i can't control that was a big learning for me of my what if year and i was just desperately trying to figure out something to do and so the book starts and really i consider the spark of this story from this kind of wonderful girls weekend like this stolen moment that i had with two of my best friends my college roommates um both of them had very young children uh, you know my two friends had babies under one my kids were a little bit older my twins were around eight years old at the time and we kind of got away from it all for a weekend and we just had this really like wonderful hazy night with a lot of martinis and we started talking about you know what what would we be doing if we could be doing anything one of my friends that i was with that night laura she had like kind of done it she had given up her job she and her husband both worked in silicon valley he worked for a big tech company she worked for a nonprofit. and with their newborn baby they had quit their jobs and decided to go travel the world for a year and so this was me catching her as part of this year and we started having this discussion and i just it thought like came to me i was like you know what i would do more if i could do anything i would want to go Work on a musical and I would do literally anything they asked me to. I would hold playbills, I would clean toilets, I would get people coffees, I would do anything just for the opportunity to sit in and be a part of this and learn about what it is you actually do if you work on Broadway. And so this kind of snowballed into this discussion about what are all the jobs we wished we could do and didn't do and you know, hoped we still had time to do at some point. And we had like more and more martinis and uh, eventually made our way to bed. And I woke up the next morning with the seed of this idea, these internships, this idea that I could go back and explore all these things I didn't get a chance to do. And as a very offhand comment, Rebecca, my other roommate said, yeah, you should do it and you should write a book about it and i was like ha, ha, that's ridiculous but <laughs> the, look where i am now i love it it sounds like you had uh, the
0: right amount of martinis with the right friends because you came up with this incredible idea i mean the book chronicles your four internships broadway theater london art gallery a scottish luxury hotel and virtual you know fitness studio and I loved every single one of these uh, different chapters. I, I I was curious, you know, if you were to pick a favorite, what what was your what was your best experience, or do you not play favorites? Because I know you're a mom of twins, and, and we don't play favorites. Exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> no, never, never, never fall prey to that question of who is your favorite child. I've learned that. I've learned that in my parenting years. Um, you know, it would be so hard to pick just one because. Each experience was so unique, was extremely challenging in its own way, but also like just really beautifully magical in this kind of gifted opportunity to go and do these things I never thought I was going to have the chance to do again. I think if I had to pick one child, uh, don't tell the others, you know, <laughs> Broadway was just that was like a once in a lifetime experience. me I think you know it was uh, an opportunity that had been set up for me by a friend's dad who reached out to a couple of his friends who were directing shows one on Broadway and one off Broadway that were in rehearsals at different stages and kind of the lead up to what they all thought was going to be an eventual spring 2020 opening which of course didn't end up happening um and they were just so, you know, generous with their time and their knowledge. They were happy to have me come in. You know, they sort of said, well, we don't know where you're going to be able to help, but just come and make this your home away from home. And so I got on a plane. I went to New York without my husband, without my kids. And every day I went and sat in on rehearsals of these two extraordinary musicals. And it was, you know, I I don't think I don't think no matter what I go on to do in the future, and I certainly think I have a few more reinventions ahead of me. Probably, you know, I don't know that anything will be as incredible as those first few days of sitting in those rehearsals and just thinking, "This is I have always dreamed of this, and now I am here." Obviously, ignoring the fact that there is like an oncoming global pandemic that was just a few short weeks away at the time. If you take all of that out, it was. Just a completely unforgettable, extraordinary experience.
0: I loved, I absolutely loved that chapter. I love your your first day of work when you bump, like literally bump into Stephen Sondheim. And, you know, it's just, um, you're such a gifted writer where I felt like I was in the room with you. Like you really brought it to life and it was so exciting. Um, I know that your book, you know, when you sort of move through these different experiences, you... You know, asked yourself like, why didn't I do some of this stuff earlier? You know, why am I getting to it in midlife? What got in the way for you from pursuing these things that you were so passionate
1: about when you were younger? Gosh, I mean, I've. How long do we have? Right? (laughs) I know. Well, you know, like I've reflected a lot on this. I I, I, I think that writing a memoir is a little bit like therapy because especially when you have an editor being like, but no, why? Why did you feel that way? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was my dad. Oh my God, I have a breakthrough. <laughs> and it just all happens on the page, you know, as opposed to on somebody's sofa in an hourly session. You know, I, I think that I I was so focused from pretty much as early as I can remember on achieving, on being the best, on setting goals and then going out to get the things I wanted. And whether it was, you know, innate or whether it was external, more likely it was a combination of both. That just felt like this path that I was on. And so some of these things that I had dreamt of doing, like my deep love for musical theater or wanting to be part of the art world, um, you know, the visual arts, you know, I, I think there were periods of time where they felt this is too right-brained, this is too creative, this is maybe something I'm not going to be good at. And so I really just need to be focused on the things that are going to help me get to whatever this imagined state was that I thought I needed to be, this place of, you know, the top of the mountain. Like, I didn't even know what it meant, but being being on top of everything and feeling like, okay, now I've actually done it. And what I came to realize in the process of getting to that place and then going through this kind of what if year that I had and the experience of then reflecting on it after and writing the book was that, you know, I had left so much behind in that really dogged pursuit of this one goal that I thought was the goal on paper, the thing that success meant. And all of these other things that I truly, truly loved at different stages of my life were kind of casualties of my pursuit of success. And so, I think that was a big reason. I think I had just, you know, I had put everything to the side to chase after this goal. And then I got there and I was like, wait a minute. Is this this it? Feel how I, yeah, this doesn't feel how I thought it was going to feel. Is this all, is this all I've got? Like, I, I I love that. Thing. I mean, I
0: actually, um, Alicia, like flagged a quote that you um, said in the book, which was, quote, over and over again, I heard the same tiny question in my head. Is this it? It wasn't that I didn't have enough or even that I didn't have everything I wanted. The problem was I did have everything I wanted or thought I'd wanted that I'd worked to for so long. And, you know, you how to sort of ask yourself, you know, what what what's wh- why am I feeling this sense of dissatisfaction when on paper everything looks amazing? You know, I'm a CEO of a company I started. I went to Harvard. You know, I, I, you scaled that mountain that you referred to and you got there and you're like, I'm not sure if I love this view. And I, I think that a lot of women in midlife get to that point where they you know, have been um, good at, you know, sort of following one lane and one line and, and then um, want to make a pivot. We're, we're heading into a break, but when we come back, I want to have you share with our listeners a little bit how you did make this pivot happen. Have you ever successfully set someone up on a date? In my 53 years, I've only ever made one successful match for a friend, which is why I'm so eager to introduce you to the nonprofit Let's Talk Menopause, because I know this is a relationship that's going to work. Let's Talk Menopause is changing the conversation around menopause so women get the information they need and the healthcare they deserve. Understanding menopause is a lot like solving a tough jigsaw puzzle, as there are so many pieces. Menopause can have over 34 symptoms, insomnia, joint pain, low libido, difficulty sleeping, irritability, mood swings, fatigue, brain fog, painful sex, urinary leaks. It is a long list. Visit their website, letstalkmenopause.org to find all the tools you need. The 101s to understanding the physical and mental menopausal changes, information about their public ad campaigns and advocacy work, a downloadable symptoms checklist to share with your doctor, and so much more. Visit Let's Talk Menopause.org. Together, we can change the change. Okay. We're back from the break. We talked about how we often, you know, are scaling the mountain of success or we put ourselves on one track and we stay there doggedly because, you know, we're being, um, you know, gold star earners or we're we're trying to hit a certain goal. But if we do want to make a pivot, you know, how did you um, enroll the people in your life, in your your what-if year? How did you uh, manage to uh, create all of these new opportunities to explore?
1: So I think the the way that I kind of think about my pivot was that it it feels now when I look back to that period, which was, uh, you know, th- those that crazy night of drinks was exactly four years ago this week, in fact. So, you know, I'm I'm really really thinking back on the time when this journey started, and, you know, in that time, I my life now is looks completely unrecognizable from what it did then, but I did not make like a hundred and eighty degree Turn on my toes and walk straight away, pivot. I pivoted like two or three degrees at a time for like a long period of time. I am a very risk averse person and I'm a very responsible person. I am never a person to kind of just leave my responsibilities at the door without a backup plan in place. And so once I sort of got over the mental hurdle of deciding, okay, this is, you know, a worthwhile thing to do that I want to pursue these what ifs. I want to go do these internships. I want to take this year for myself in these in these kind of small chunks that I had parceled it out in so carefully. Once I had decided, okay, I'm going to do this, then there was all of this practical kind of scaffolding put in place to make sure that I could hold up all the parts of my life that I had constructed that were really relying on me to always be there and that they were going to be able to survive without me. And that took a really long time and it was not easy. It took months and months of convincing my husband that he was going to be okay with the kids. We had this really wonderful nanny who um, had been with us for a long time and she had resigned. She was going to travel the world and photograph. Um, And I convinced her to stay one extra month so I could go off to New York and kind of do this. And, you know, she was then going to, going to head off after that. I had to step back from things that I had committed to doing. I was the social chair of the parent council at my kid's school. I had to say I wasn't going to do that anymore. Mind you, I had been doing it for four years. So I think I had exceeded my term <laughs> limit, but, you know. You had still... earned your right to be sprung free from Exactly. That. <laughs> but there I was organizing the pancake breakfast and sitting with the headmistress who was saying, please, please don't quit. Just take a break and come back. You know, so there was there was. You know, but I, I really I broke everything down into very small pieces. What am I going to do today? What's the small thing that's going to happen? I'm going to send this one email to this one person. I'm going to spend twenty five minutes on LinkedIn trying to find people who work in the art industry who might know somebody who can give me an internship opportunity. And it was just really small things at a time until all of a sudden I looked back and I kind of had this whole thing planned out. Now, then everything got thrown for a loop again, because the pandemic turned twenty twenty on its head. But even when I had to kind of revisit my all of my decisions and go back and say, okay, what am I going to do now? It was the same kind of thing. I'm going to start, I'm going to do three things today that are productive towards this goal. And, you know, that is what got me there. I know some people love to leap head first. And I've just, I've never been one of those people. And no matter how many what if years I have, I don't think I'll ever fully be able to be one of those people. So I definitely took like the responsible approach to pivoting I guess.
0: I love it and you also I mean you put your finger on it too. You were doing all this during the pandemic so you had to reinvent your reinvention a number of times because you know plans and internships went sideways as the world you know changed overnight. But I really love that you um identified that small steps made made big changes and that I love this notion of the 2 to 3%. You know we're not doing like a 180. We're doing like we're moving on a 3% access today because I've had this theme on so many shows when you have fitness trainers come on or people who've launched companies or who've reinvented relationships and there, this notion of small incremental change can add up to big results as long as you're you know persistent about moving yourself forward. And I think that's what something you know, that makes it so doable um and so i love that you shared that your 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 big amazing year happened um step by step what what would you say to a listener you know we we've, we've gotten them inspired to realize they can break down their goals and their maybe reinvention plans into small pieces but you know um you were a CEO of a company. You had eight-year-old twins. These can sort of present themselves. I don't want to say roadblocks because having you know a family is amazing and building a company is something to be proud of. But if somebody is having their own concerns around um, what they feel are like insurmountable objections, you know, what would you? How would you encourage them to think?
1: I mean, I think, you know, I, I love my kids and I'm very proud of what we accomplished in the company that I built with my husband. But yeah, I mean, they did feel like barriers to achieving the thing I wanted, especially at that time when I was feeling really stuck. Um, and so I, I completely hear that. I had this really wonderful coach and you don't have to do this with a coach. You could do it with a friend. And if you're really disciplined, you could do it on your own. But she really pushed me. When I put the word can't, into a sentence. She really pushed me to ask why. So if I said, you know, well, I had this idea, but, you know, I, I, can't, I can't leave the kids for two weeks. And she was like, why? Why can't you leave the kids for two weeks? I said, well, you know, I organize everything. I pack the lunches. I get them to soccer practice and through the school activities. I'm the one that has the phone numbers of all the babysitters that we, you know, I'm doing all of this, so I, I can't leave them. And then we would really sit there and she would keep pushing me. Why why can't someone else do that? Why can't your husband help out? Why can't a friend do the pickups for a couple of weeks? Why can't you kind of, you know, why does it have to be you doing all of these things all the time? For a super controlling person like me, that was like a revolutionary question because I had assumed that so much of the life that I had built, that I was the only person that could do it. And when I really started to, with her guidance, ask myself, why do I think I can't do this? And how much of that is real? And how much of it is imagined? you know, I started to strip away the barriers that were in my head, and then I was left with the practical ones. And frankly, there were a lot fewer of them, and those were much easier to solve than these giant walls I had built up in my head that kind of made me think, well, I could never possibly do this because it's too big, it's too risky, it's too this. But actually, by asking myself why I thought that, and really not not sitting on an answer, but really, really pushing to get to the root of it, you know, it completely changed the way I thought about what I could and couldn't do.
0: I love that. You're so lucky that you were working with a talented coach who helped guide you. And and this makes me thank you. In your chapter where you talked about your art gallery internships, you you talk in that um, section about having this growing sense of optimism, this sort of zest that's stirring within you once again. And you you refer to it as a pilot light. You were saying that it had always been in you waiting to be rekindled. So for our listeners who might need coaching on how to fan the flames of their own inner spark, what would you share with them?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. And I mean, you know, I'm not not a coach. I've had the benefit (laughs) of great coaching. So that's your Um, next internship, Alicia. Exactly. Exactly. Take it it with a grain of salt. But, you know, a, a lot of I think I can remember when you read me that piece back, like I remember I remember that feeling. I can feel it again. And a lot of that for me with that particular internship was starting to spend time around art again, which was something that I had always loved doing. I feel like I spent half of my senior year of college when I wasn't, you know, out at, out at various parties. I was in the MFA in Boston uh, looking at the paintings, looking at the Sargent paintings, which I loved, spending time with art. Sometimes... I would just go and sit there and like read a different book, but to be surrounded by art was this thing that brought me so much joy when I was younger. And you know, life got in the way. I had kids, which meant that, you know, my God, if you've ever tried to take toddler twins to an art museum, I did it once or twice. It was really
0: <laughs> not really, for the uh, fan of heart. Not for the yeah, fan of exactly. heart. Exactly.
1: You know, there needs to be like a large rewarding cocktail after or something like that is done. <laughs> and, you know, so I stopped. I stopped going. I stopped spending time there. And, you know, having this internship was like an excuse to start going back to all these galleries and all these spaces where I was again surrounded by beautiful art and I started to feel that feeling again of possibility of excitement. And, you know, I think my surroundings had a lot to do with it. So while I'm definitely not a career coach, I would say to the extent that you can put yourself in a situation where you are surrounded by something that inspires you. And if you're working a full-time job, maybe you hop into a museum, if that's your bag at lunch break, or you go to a lunchtime concert if you live in a city where that happens, or you sign up for an online class that is gonna teach you something that you have, you know, not, not for any reason beyond just being inspired and enjoying it and, you know, kind of rekindling something that you love. That is what I would say to do, because I think that even just being in these galleries and museums and these auction houses, I remembered it was like muscle memory. I remembered this old part of me that used to get so excited by that. And, you know, that came back little by little. It wasn't gone. And so but I think physically putting myself in those spaces where I was able to be inspired again, I think that really did it for me. I
0: think that's such wonderful advice. And I, I think people get that also from travel. You know, you you feel yes. energized by being in new environments or inspired by the beauty of different parts of the world. And, you know, I live on Long Island now, but I grew up in New York City. And, and when I'm back in Manhattan walking around, even if it's just like for an afternoon, just the energy of the city is so invigorating. So... I I totally get that. When you're someplace different physically, it it, um, lights up different areas of your brain. Um, So that's wonderful advice. Alicia, your book is so hilariously funny at times. Um, There's nothing like the humbling experience of being a 40-year-old intern, right? Being in over your head, learning new things. You have a very funny story about the raisinettes, which everyone needs to read chapter 10 and learn more about, you know, this um, this thing. What what was sort of like the most humbling experience that you had? You know, we don't have to get into the whole raisinette story, but, you know, and what was sort of the most surprising thing you learned during your year? Oh, those
1: are such good questions. Um... Gosh. Okay. I would say the most humbling experience, set of experiences I had was doing my final internship, which was working at this beautiful hotel and restaurant called Kinlock Lodge on the Isle of Skye in Scotland. Um, You know, I just, I I just, I just thought I was going to be better at it than I was because I like being around people. I had worked in a bar, she says, (laughs) rubbing her hair casually, you know, I'd worked in a bar in college. Like I just, I thought, that it was not going to be as difficult as it was. And I really, truly felt my age in that internship. It was physically exhausting. My feet hurt. My arms hurt. My bones hurt. I was just so tired and I was so, so bad at it. And I spent almost <laughs> a month there and I did not get any better, truthfully. Like, you know, like like many businesses um, after COVID and, of course, over here with the additional uh Wrench in the in the plans of Brexit. You know, hospitality businesses are struggling to recruit staff. And every time I go back to Sky, I'm like, guys, put me in, coach. Like, do you want to put me back on a restaurant shift? I can do the dinner service tonight. And they're always like, no, 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 don't. We're good. (laughs) We're we're fine. They would rather have nobody there than have me in there doing that job. So you know, I spilled stuff on myself. I dropped plates of food. I almost set myself on fire once. Like it was so. I was so comically bad at everything that I had to do and that was so humbling because I am a person who had engineered my life to be really lean into the things that I was good at. And so to sit here doing this job day after day that I was so truly bad at was it was. I mean, it was awful. And Alicia, I got right? I got fired. I was
0: I was a waitress in college on Martha's Vineyard, and I served Art, Gar- Art Garfunkel coffee and slopped the entire cup into his saucer, and no. that was like, that was my last shift. They were like, "This oh isn't God. working out." I'm like, "Oh, like crying." You know, it's humbling. It's humbling. It is. It, it's so oh hard, God, and it, it. By the story. way, it makes you a very good customer for, in the future because you realize how hard people work, and it's it's. Oh yeah. And and people who uh, wait, you know, staff who make it look um, easy and seamless are or, or so or, you know are good at what they do.
1: I mean, first of all, that is a hilarious story, and no, they did not fire me. I think because I wasn't getting paid, they didn't fire <laughs> me because I was working for free. They probably would have thought about it, but you know, my gosh, I really did. Um, I really just did so, I you know, with with love and respect to all of you guys there at Kinlock, because and to everybody that I had to serve, I'm sorry. You thought you were getting a luxury experience, I I <laughs> me. so sorry for that. Um, and then you asked what was the most surprising thing. You know, the thing and with the overall process that surprised me the most was that I really had this idea at the beginning that I was going to do these internships take these little breaks from my real life and then I was going to be refreshed and I was going to come back and get right on the same path that I was on before. And when that didn't happen at the end of the process when I got through these four internships and I started to realize I don't think I want to go back to how things were before, mind you, the whole world had also changed. So this idea of going back to a pre-covid world, you know, at that time seemed impossible. And I I just you know it was it was maybe it seems silly if you kind of like you know if you're reading the book you can like see it coming back up she's definitely not going back to her old life but that is not how it felt for me at the time i really was so convinced that this was like a little jolt that i needed and i was going to get right back on the path and now the path is gone i'm like completely off-roading in the middle of a forest somewhere like <laughs> picking mushrooms on the side and i never ever would have thought that that was where i would be taking myself professionally and i love it. It has been such an opportunity to try and I've, I've tried things and I've done things that I never imagined I was going to do. And I, you know, and I've been bad at many other things subsequently, but my God, I'm having a fantastic time doing it. So that was the biggest surprise. The biggest surprise I think was how much I was willing to change things once I got all the way through the process and realized, oh no, look at all these tiny degrees I've gone. Actually, have gone 180 degrees. Let's just go. Let's go for it. So what? So and, before
0: we head into our speed round, what is that big change? What you know? How is your day to day life now so wildly different than it was four years ago?
1: I so I step back from my business. Don't want to spoil the end of the book for all of y'all that are going to read it. So you that's know, true. Well, we'll, we'll that's keep true. It, we'll no keep spoilers. <laughs> that's true. No spoilers. But um professionally, I'm doing a bunch of different things and not really one full thing. I did step back as CEO. That's why my bio says ex-CEO. And I spent some really good time transitioning the leadership of our business over to a brilliant CEO who's leading it now and staying on as chair. And I'm still doing some work with several of the uh, organizations that I interned with. So um, just before this call, I got off the phone with Harry, uh, Harry Blaine, who is my Contemporary art dealer boss during my internship, and we were discussing moving this particular uh, Frida Kahlo work from one place to another. And um, you know, earlier last week, I was helping Isabella from Kinloch Lodge recruit a new general manager because I still help out and do some stuff with them. And I mean, look, I'm on this podcast with you, and that was never something that I thought was going to be part of my future or my journey. And, you know, getting to write this book, hear how it resonates with people, meet the people that read it and and just, you know, every everything feels like a surprise and no two days are the same. I
0: love that. I love that. I'm, just,
1: I'm loving it. I'm loving it all. I, as you
0: should. This book is such a joy. It was such a treat to read. I like blazed through it because I, I just kept wanting to know what was going to happen next. I, I truly loved it. And I think for me, the big takeaway is you don't have to know how it's going to end to get started. And it's it sounds like that's that's what's happened for you that you've been put on these new paths and you didn't anticipate those when you began and and anyone who's listening who's thinking I want something new in my next chapter you know just get going because you, you you'll never know where the road's going to take you until you start walking on it um, Alicia we are moving into our speed round we always end on this sort of high energy note because I could talk okay. to my guests forever and it's fun to just kind of do these one to two word answers. Um, So let's do this. Uh, (laughs) Writing my what-if year was? Exhilarating. Nice. If I could have done a fifth internship, it would be in this field. Disney World. I hope I never have to do this task for my what-if year again. Uh, serving a tray full of drinks to anybody. <laughs> I feel you on that one. Uh, a surprising <laughs> skill I acquired during my what if year.
1: A lot of new vocabulary. That's more than two words. That's all right. I Interesting. New
0: vocabulary. That's two words.
1: New vocabulary.
0: Yeah, I get that. Like a whole new work jargon. Um, okay. You are now a pro at asking yourself what if. What is your next what if adventure for 2023? And it doesn't need to be limited to work.
1: Stand-up paddleboarding. Ooh, I love it. I love it. But can you do that in Scotland? Is there enough oh, yeah. warm water? I have a wetsuit. Oh, there's no, there's no warm water. But I have <laughs> gloves, a hat, boots, a wetsuit. <laughs> You're and ready. And a strong motivation to not fall
0: off because the water is so cold. That's <laughs> true. That's, that's a good core workout. You're like, I'm not hitting that icy cold lock. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Finally, your one-word answer to complete the sentence, as I age, I feel... Grateful, grateful. I love it. This has been such a treat. It was. I, I, first of all, I felt like I knew you before we even started this conversation because this book is so wonderful and amazing, and I'm excited to spend time with you. And i I want you to, you know, direct our listeners to how they can find out more about you and your work in the book.
1: Thank you so much. So, um, I am for my sins on Instagram all the time. Uh, my handle is at Alicia F Miranda. Or you can go to my website, which is aliciafmiranda.com, and find out all the various internships I might be up to next there. Perfect. I'll put those all in the
0: show notes. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. Join me next Monday when Dr. Kelly Kasperson gives us the 101 on midlife sexual health, intimacy, and the science of desire. Thank you for tuning in, spending time, and being a friend of the show. If you learned something new, nodded along, took mental notes, or feel smarter, energized, or more inspired after tuning in, I would love a written review over on Apple Podcasts. Share what you learned and why you tune in, because reviews matter. They help other women like you find the show. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time, and until then, age boldly, beauties.